This is the Monitoring and Evaluation Boost with Godfrey Sincaba. Every week, we share tips and practical stories to help you master the monitoring and evaluation job and perform it to your best. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to hit that subscribe button so you're automatically updated about new episodes. And that way, you can continue to grow your m and career every day. It also helps to show your support to this podcast and improve its ranking on the platform. We really appreciate that effort. Now, let's get started. Hello everyone, my name is Godfrey Sinkaba, your host, Monitoring and Evaluation Boost, Episode 4, My Monitoring and Evaluation Career, Creating Opportunities Where None Exists. I began my career as a temporary clerk at the Central Bank of Uganda in the mid 2000s Today, I lead the Design, Monitoring and Evaluation Unit at a top international non-profit organization in the United States. My career would not be the same if I did not deliberately search for, discover, and or utilize opportunities even when the odds were against. I tell my story to highlight a myriad of possibilities and potential opportunities for new and current evaluators to succeed in the evaluation profession. Storytelling is a powerful mentorship and coaching tool. It has the power to make a profession real. Those who listen to the story get to learn the nuts and bolts of an issue more than simply reading the technical concepts and tools that characterize the evaluation profession. Next month, I start featuring career stories of leading evaluators, highlighting what has worked for them, what they have had to do differently, favorite tools and methods, and tips for evaluators to best understand the monitoring and evaluation role and to perform it to their best. Today, I tell my own career story. leveraged undergraduate studies to get my first evaluation job. I am a generally an inquisitive person. I always want to know about things or alternatives to enrich my understanding and action. For this reason, I pursued a bachelor's degree in social work and social administration. In this course, I got lots of theoretical knowledge about the nature of individuals and society, the problems they face, and how to address them. I learned about tools, methods, processes, and best practices for improving human functioning at individual, community, and national level. Moreover, social work was taught as an eclectic body of knowledge, borrowing principles and practices from other fields like psychology, sociology, social anthropology, social research, statistics, economics, management, among others. I graduated with high hopes that the world was waiting for me to make a difference. I was wrong. With high unemployment rates at the time, only few got employed, if not underemployed. Moreover, with the low growth of the economy, only few jobs could be added. Besides, employers often required a minimum of two to three years experience even for entry-level positions. This only raised the possibility of unemployment for a very long time. The education system prepares one for employment, not necessarily as an employer. Starting your own job after university takes extra personal skills and resources, which many graduates like I never had. This frustration made me change how I perceived things. For example, I changed my job search strategy. Instead of responding to every job advert, I prioritized only those jobs that were in areas of research project management, or training roles. I selected these areas because they were my favorite social work courses. Secondly, recalling that during my internship at the Central Bank of Uganda, I worked on a proposal for a staff welfare survey. I decided to develop this proposal further, drafted the tools, and submitted them to the human resource team, suggesting that I am ready, in fact more than happy, to implement this study if it is not yet implemented. Heavens! The human resource director wrote back to say that their welfare team was in the 
process of implementing this study, and I could join as a research assistant if I wanted. In the weeks that followed, I was working with the bank officially as a temporary clerk, and specifically with the welfare team. I was given chance to discuss the tools I had drafted, received feedback, supervised data collection across the bank's currency centers in country, and contributed to writing the final report. Aware that I needed additional experience beyond the research study, I informed the human resource director that I was available to help on other tasks if and when the officers deemed so. He said that the department was under unemployment freeze, but if I was interested, I could continue as a temporary clerk for a couple of months. Could I have said no? Your guess is as good as mine. I was assigned to work with the different human resource officers who gave me an opportunity to review reports, write summaries, take notes in meetings, perform data analysis tasks, and help draft communication briefs. I felt this was a good use of time, even if I wasn't hoping to work for the bank as a permanent staff. In fact, conducting the welfare study gave me such confidence that I started seeking opportunities to collaborate on research studies as a side jig. In one of these short research jigs, I met one of my professors at the university who got interested in my experience at the bank and offered me a consultant position in his newly research and evaluation consultancy. Before I get into the details of the research consultancy, let me summarize what I learned about transitioning from university to working. Changing perspective about work, employment and value add matters a lot in landing your first post-college job. Instead of putting your hopes on organizations reaching out to you through job adverts, take proactive steps to reach out to them with clear value add to their business. Secondly, narrow down the job options on specific areas where you feel more confident and competent. I prioritize jobs or work in two to three areas where I thought I had the best chance to succeed. Three, leverage your college time as work experience and not just a time spent pumping you with theories rather than preparing you with the rounded skills needed to succeed in your post-college work. Okay, perspective, isn't it? A renowned motivational speaker, Norman Vincent Pale, once said, change your thoughts and you change your world. I would add that if you change the way you perceive things, you will be amazed by the opportunities and possibilities that exist. For a while in college, I wondered why we had to study several social science theories, such as the theory of planned behavior by Ajay Ajen, 1985, which talks about changing behaviors of individuals, or the diffusion theory by E. Rogers, 1995, which focuses on changing community behaviors and the behaviors of individuals en masse. As I researched for jobs after college, these and other theories stuck in my mind, but gave me confidence that I can apply them in my work. No wonder, when I drafted this staff welfare proposal that I submitted to the central bank and highlighted what was important to learn about staff and the questions that I needed to address, I was invited. Other examples of perceived college education time as experience needed in jobs include through the required design, implementation, and submission of a dissertation that many courses actually require their students, I got an opportunity for an end-to-end process of conducting a social science research. I talked about this experience in my application to the bank. Besides the technical skills, I listed several soft skills such as teamwork, self-management, flexibility, facilitating groups, and meeting deadlines, a meaning coursework deadline. I drew these skills from my work with classmates, groups, in completing coursework, class assignments, among other learning activities. Lastly, and most important, don't be discouraged by the broad differences that categorize today's professions. If you are interested in the evaluation field, don't be discouraged if you didn't do an evaluation course or class at college or university. If you did one, you have an advantage. If you didn't, please know that just like social work, evaluation is an eclectic field of study. It increasingly builds knowledge and tools of its own, but borrows theories and principles from
from several other fields. It is for this reason that you find several successful evaluators whose initial or undergraduate training is in psychology, economics, engineering, information technology, medicine, social work, mathematics, among others. The immediate post-college choices impact on the nature and type of monitoring and evaluation career that we lead. Part 2. How I amplified my first job experience to find and firm up my monitoring and evaluation career anchors. Each one of us is gifted differently. These gifts, talents, values, or interests play a key part in the nature and type of monitoring and evaluation path you choose. And so rich is the evaluation field that there will be a place for each one of us to flourish. As I mentioned earlier, as an inquisitive person, I am drawn to tasks that involve research, evaluation, and training. As I see an opportunity to learn more and help others to find better ways to address issues. My research interests drew similar tasks while a temporary clerk at the central bank and at the research and evaluation consultancy firm. You need to find out what motivates you in and about a job before you sign for it. With a clear interest and value add to your skill set in a job, you will be able to overcome any challenges that are associated with a job, particularly when you are a young or emerging evaluator. For example, Life wasn't so easy at the research and evaluation consultancy. It was an individual owned, a new startup, no formal structures or human resource management policies or transparent business practices. Many of you have worked in these types of firms. Already know that the drive for new resources supersedes any product quality obligations or staff welfare. Yet amidst all this, I still discovered that my purpose was beyond what I was experiencing. I chose to focus on building skills in conducting large-scale research studies, design and oversight of data collection tools, writing strategic plans, designing quality assurance protocols, and conducting evaluation for a variety of clients. Achieving this necessitated working long hours, multitasking, and extreme flexibility. This mindset and behavior helped me to earn the needed business skills in this consultancy and raise to the level of independently leading the end-to-end -end evaluation consultancy for certain clients. As I continued in this evaluation firm, I realized that I would make a well-rounded evaluation consultant if I knew how to perform data analysis on my own. We often had to outsource data analysis to a statistician and I felt that I could probably help myself with new skills in statistics. But as many of you already know, when you come from the social science background, particularly if you never did statistics in detail, it becomes so difficult to understand or even learn a new software. This reflection on personal skills limitation is important, but more important is how quickly you address it. I reached out to a statistician friend to discuss how he could help me build skills in SPSS, as it was called at the time. Fortunately, he also needed training on how to write an evaluation proposal and write reports. We agreed to work together on future assignments, but as trainers for each other on the mutually agreed skills. This collaboration helped me learn data entry in data entry using EpiInfo, that's Epidemiology Information for Windows, and data analysis with SPSS. With these skills, I felt emboldened to take on any monitoring and evaluation related job. For some jobs, I felt they would give me the opportunity to perfect my skills and to others, the opportunity to acquire new or complementary skills. For instance, I took on a job of data control officer in a private utility company because it had recently implemented a new billing system and it wanted to refine its customer database. The job involved monthly data collection of utility service data from customers 
performance, updating data on its utility grid lines, and helping with basic data quality tasks. I saw working in a corporate company as an opportunity to learn how social science concepts are applied in a for-profit business. Besides, as my career took on an upward trajectory, I realized the need to update my knowledge and skills. I returned to the university to pursue a master's degree in social sector planning and management. This course broadened my knowledge and skills in designing, managing, and evaluation of social programs and policies. After completing this master's degree, I took on an evaluation and research specialist position at a child sponsorship nonprofit. My aim was to learn the typical profile of the internal evaluator, how evaluation is perceived, and how evaluation research findings are utilized. I learned a lot about application of child sponsorship and development within church partnerships, measuring child development indicators through partners, and how doing evaluation to increase programmatic learning and improvement mattered a lot. Yet still, I felt that I was missing a strong practice component, monitoring interventions, and within the context of community development. This need led me to switch to a monitoring and evaluation specialist role at another non-profit organization, but one that focused on community partnerships and development with a focus on children. Moreover, this was an opportunity for me to work with and understand several public and private donor monitoring and evaluation requirements and how they can be integrated in monitoring and evaluation systems. The need to explore the role of donors in monitoring and evaluation led me to take up a senior monitoring and evaluation advisor position at one of a large USAID-funded nutrition program in the country. This experience gave me an opportunity to appreciate, learn similarities and differences between USAID and other donors like UN OCHA, ECHO, DFID, among others, and how they differed from individual or corporate sponsors. In addition, the need to build skills in training and or capacity building led me to take up a part-time lecture position at one of the private universities in the country. I later found out that the Development Studies Department, where I was assigned to teach monitoring and evaluation course, needed a monitoring and evaluation practitioner to complement their teaching methods. I had a great opportunity to contribute to training of several hundreds of evaluators in the country, giving them the practical tools, real-life exposure to what evaluation is in real world, and also contributing to refinement of the monitoring and evaluation course curriculum for the school. Therefore, being intentional in the choice of jobs you take on is important. More important is to find a suite of interests, values, skills, and attributes on which your career is anchored. You find this, and you will find a myriad of possibilities and growth. In some contexts, this may not be a deliberate choice, but a desperate attempt to make ends meet. Even so, your perspective should be right, as in desperation you may find a gold mine of knowledge, skills, attributes needed to start, consolidate, or grow your monitoring and evaluation career. Part 3. How I consolidated my career anchors for job growth. Time comes when moving from one monitoring and evaluation job to another only serves to extend your breadth but not depth of the job. Indeed, getting deeper in your understanding of the monitoring and evaluation job you perform goes beyond the job itself. It moves on to understanding the job fit in the organization and how you can use the role to contribute to the broader organization mission and strategy. Mastery of this is a precursor to growth at the highest level within your organization. It's for this reason that when my contract with the USAID Nutrition Program ended, I returned to the International Nonprofit Community Development Organization to lead their design, monitoring, and evaluation unit. This time, my interest shifted slightly. 
Number one, delivering what was expected of me in terms of the job, technical and managerial oversight over the design, monitoring and evaluation unit, which supported over 50 community development projects. Number two, taking a deliberate approach to build my evaluation career anchors mentioned earlier, including research and learning and competency-based capacity building. And number three, leading the charge of placing monitoring and evaluation central to the organization's strategy, development, and implementation. This third personal focus area opened my eyes to a broader world of monitoring and evaluation that I had not thought about before. For example, institutional monitoring and evaluation. Yes, project-based monitoring and evaluation and institutional monitoring and evaluation share some traits but are different in intent and approach. In the earlier roles as a project monitoring and evaluation specialist, my focus was on establishing a functional monitoring and evaluation system, designing tools, data quality assessments, capacity building of project teams and partners, program communication, and facilitating evidence use, among others. I planned these roles for one or several projects, but all in a similar sector. This differs from my roles as the National Design Monitoring and Evaluation Manager, and later as the Associate Director for Portfolio Quality and Performance. My overall goal was to ensure that the monitoring and evaluation function supported ministry effectiveness. Instead of dealing with single project indicators, I was now involved in setting core indicators for the entire organization. In addition, instead of dealing with the project level targets, you call them programmatic targets, I was involved in setting strategic targets that aligned with every strategic objectives and from which we expected that every single program would contribute. Additional roles included development and implementing quality assurance standards, implementing comprehensive capacity building strategy, contributing to the office's new business growth, and supporting evaluation use across the organization. Besides, the institutional monitoring and evaluation job also calls for elevated scope in understanding and application of soft skills. For comprehensive international development non-profit, soft skills are as important as the technical skills. In my role as a national design monitoring and evaluation manager and later as an associate director, I had to engage with interests of donors and support offices on program quality issues. Besides balancing these interests with other stakeholders like the national office, project communities, and partners. Please remember that only technical skills are not enough to oversee a portfolio of over 50 community development programs and grants. You have to exercise mastery of getting results through others, teamwork, flexibility, performance, under tight deadlines, and stress management. Yet with a structure of nearly 35 monitoring and evaluation specialists or officers that were under my oversight, results could not be guaranteed without good leadership. And one more skill often forgotten is work-life balance. Of late, this has changed to work-life harmony. It's really difficult to balance work and family. Yet despite the pressures of the job and organization, I always remember that my career and growth transcended the job and the organization that I worked for. For this reason, I prioritized and kept an active presence on selected social and professional networks, regularly contributing by sharing my own experience or thoughts on emerging issues. I I cannot enumerate all the opportunities I found outside the formal job and organization structure. Hence, getting to know my core personal and professional interests and applying these at work to frame my work approach helped me to gain considerable depth in my career. But it's the non-technical aspects of the job, together with social and professional networking, that retained an endless open door of opportunities that fueled my career growth.
Four, how I find happiness in a monitoring and evaluation career. A renowned positive psychologist, Professor Siskin Mihai, described happiness in his flow theory. Accordingly, the happiest people spend much time in a state of flow, the state in which one is in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. The experience itself is so enjoyable that people will do it even at a great cost for the sheer sake of doing it. But beyond what Siskin Mihai seemingly describes as a flow state, I feel happy every day, not just doing a monitoring and evaluation activity, but about the entire monitoring and evaluation experience. Several factors have contributed to this state. My current work as a design, monitoring, and evaluation manager at the international non-profit organization based in Washington, D.C., I am always passionate about the evaluation career because I see tangible results it has to the international development workers, institutions, and to the life of communities around the world. I have participated in development and implementation of programs where externally led evaluations showed meaningful impact to program participants and their communities. Even evaluations that didn't show positive results, the learning alone was useful in helping us refine future programs. This makes me come to work every day. The other issue is quite personal. Through my several career jobs, I have managed, trained, mentored, and coached several professionals in Africa, Asia, United States, Central America, Middle East, and the Caribbean. Many of them have ended up taking senior positions in monitoring and evaluation in their countries and across the world. I cannot be proud. I continue to mentor and coach new and emerging evaluators. Beyond volunteering with the Washington Evaluators here in Washington, D.C., I have founded and facilitated several monitoring and evaluation WhatsApp networks. These groups welcome experienced and new evaluators and aim for participants to achieve a threefold purpose, network, share, and advance in the evaluation career. In addition, I have found value and have received several feedback from users of my monitoring and evaluation boost blog. Through this blog, I share my career experience on a wide range of subjects and further hold free bi-monthly webinars to address topical issues that reflect skills gaps of members of the monitoring and evaluation boost WhatsApp groups. More recently, I started the monitoring and evaluation boost podcast to provide tips, strategies, and feature career stories of leading evaluators to help new and emerging evaluators understand the monitoring and evaluation role and perform it to their best. So much goes into finding happiness in one's career, but I believe I am, and certainly there are a lot of things I have learned to share with you. Before I conclude my career story, here are a couple of lessons I have learned about the monitoring and evaluation role. Lessons learned. Number one, monitoring and evaluation roles are performed differently depending on context, setting, and purpose. Deciding on the path you will take early on in your career will help you to become more intentional in the choices you make over what monitoring and evaluation jobs to do and in what organization or settings. For example, if you want to be an evaluator who has programming sector expertise, prioritize work in a sector-based setting, for example, education and health. You may also need to do advanced studies in that chosen sector, but specialize in a monitoring and evaluation methodology. Number two, complementing the chosen evaluation career path by specifically focusing on your evaluation career anchors will accelerate your growth than if you had not chosen. Many of us are very good in designing monitoring and evaluation systems, but others 
are very good in evaluating programs. And better still, I've seen colleagues who are good in data analysis and management. Many of them only prioritize those specific tasks. They look for jobs or opportunities that speak to data management. And if it is in design of M&D systems or design of communication strategies, they will not go for it. Number three, mastery of monitoring and evaluation roles comes when you train, coach, and mentor others. Number four, opportunities are given when you network, collaborate, work with others on monitoring and evaluation tasks, building networks and collaboration with evaluators with different professional backgrounds and from different cultural contexts should be an evaluator's gold standard. Word of mouth is common in the evaluation profession. People recommend you based on your work. A key point to remember here is that don't just open up social network accounts. Be an active member. Number five, perspective is important in growing one's career. The challenge or limitations you currently face may be opportunities to help you move to the next level only if you change the way you perceive them. Number six, the monitoring and evaluation profession is evolving as new information, methods, and practices come to the fore. Those who adopt and adapt faster stand high chances of growth than those who don't. Evaluators should never be uninterested in taking additional or advanced training on general or specific monitoring and evaluation methodology or tools. For this reason, I realized that I had completed my master's degree over 10 years ago. Last year, I returned to the university to pursue a master's of science in evaluation and applied research. In addition, at a minimum, an evaluator should be a member of a professional evaluation association. Professional associations for evaluators offer several up-to-date resources and opportunities for their members besides free or low-cost professional development training. Therefore, career growth in monitoring and evaluation is possible, but we need to take deliberate steps to discover and utilize opportunities in and around us even when none exist. This is it for today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Monitoring and Evaluation Boost with Godfrey Senkaba. Please let us know your comments or any topics you would like to hear. And please check out our website, www.mandeboost.com. If you have comments about this episode or experiences you would like to share regarding the ideas discussed in this podcast, please let us know. Again, please visit our website to share. That's www.mandeboost.com. Thank you.